Good morning, everyone. Good morning to you on Zoom. Isn't it uh, great to have Dallas Bros with us this morning? <laughs> Dallas was telling me that he's really prospering in his job, and they offered him a 401k. They wanted him to sign up for a 401k. Isn't that wonderful? But Dallas hesitated because uh, he wasn't sure he could run that far. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Dallas. Um, for those of you on Zoom, I really want you to see the slides today. So um, I've been instructed to tell you that you want to be in gallery view, not speaker view. And um, when, the slot, when you see the first slide, you can even do it now, uh, double tap it and it should become large on your screen. Um, if you have trouble, you can, uh, I think, uh, chat with Chris Staub, uh, either by phone or on the Zoom site. Let's have a word of prayer before we start. Father, we ask that this message would be timely. I trust that it is. We pray for your divine anointing upon it. Um, help me to be free and filled with joy and yet also very sober and um, consistent with the word that you've given. We bless you and we praise you for each other, that we belong to you, and that we have a job to do. We thank you so much, Lord, for our family of faith here at TCF. Bless each person as we hear the word of God. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Bill, um, the clicker. While uh, Bill is getting the clicker to move the slides along, I'd like to read our text. This, our text is from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And it begins like this. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings, be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony born at the proper time. And for this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath or dissension. Well, as I thought about what I should preach this morning, um, this message, uh, these verses uh, were really uh, on my heart, especially verse 8. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. And the two-word phrase, holy hands, 
uh, just became uh, my focus, kind of a laser focus, on why the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would say, holy hands. Why would he use that adjective? And um, so I brought uh, two questions to the table in my mind. The first being, what was the Apostle Paul trying to communicate when he used the adjective holy for holy hands? And secondly, a more probing and personal question that you might ask yourself as I was asking myself, and that is, what kind of hands am I lifting up before the Lord these days? What kind of hands are we lifting up before the Lord uh, these days? One thing for sure, though, is I think you'll agree with me that human hands are a beautiful and amazing work of God. Amen? I don't know if you love to look at hands, but I love to look at different people's hands in different professions of life. For example, here's a working man's hand, and uh, I love to see the hands of a hard-working man. Often they're swollen and they're cracked, and I chose this one because of the bandage on his finger. Uh, it's kind of been a running joke between me and Laura that um, carpenters always seem to be missing the tip of a finger. And the last group of carpenters we hi hired, three, of, three or four of them were at our house, and we were showing them around. And I mentioned this, that, that Laura and I like to laugh about carpenters always missing the tip of one of their fingers. And out of his pocket, one of the young carpenters held up his hand, and he was missing three fingers. Uh, and so I was very embarrassed, uh, I, just thinking, you idiot, you've done it again. And, um, and yet he laughed it off, and he turned out to be the very best and most artistic carpenter on the job uh, when we wanted to communicate something artsy to him or to the team, he was the one we went to. So a working man's hands, to me, are a beautiful thing. What about a mother's loving hands? This is uh, actually the hands of my wife, Laura, holding Hannah while she moves from tears to laughter while she's getting her first perm. And uh, you ladies know, but I didn't know, that that's kind of a painful process. Um, and this was taken in a small town in Illinois called Effingham, Illinois. And uh, I remember that night well. Then there are creative, artistic hands. Aren't we grateful for the artists in our congregation? I like artistic hands because, like God, they seek out and create beauty. I love this picture of hands of a father that are disciplining and training. You know, the scriptures say that all discipline is unpleasant for the moment, but it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness. And I want you to look at this father's face, how intently he is uh, 
engaged with his daughter there and with his hands over hers, comforting her. How about hands that teach? Uh, Isn't it fun to look at this teacher's face as he's handing the chalk off to a young student and he's just so excited that that this student will uh, learn a new concept that will serve him in his life. And aren't we grateful for the teachers in our body? Amen? And then you have hands like these, playful, storytelling hands that bring out the joy and the mirth in us. You know, it's our hands that express intimacy, sensuality, and even sexual love. This, I chose this picture because this man, his name is Ran Gavrielli, and he lives in Israel, and he goes around to high schools and colleges and, and gives a lecture on why he gave up pornography. And listen to what he said. Uh, This is a quote from him. What porn is showing us 80 to 90% of the time is sex with no hands involved. No touching, no caressing, no kissing. Porn cameras have no interest in sensual activities. They're only into body parts slamming together. This is not how we authentically desire and love. I stopped watching porn because it brought anger and violence into my personhood that was not there originally, and I lost my imagination and wonder about love and sexuality. It is our hands that express intimate love and even our own sexuality. How about this? It's on our hands that we display the most important or biggest human promise that we make to one another, and that is the promise of marriage. We wear rings on our hands. I love how this man's hands are cupping uh, the hands of his bride as if to say, I've got you, and I will continue to have you uh, until my dying breath. We have hands that fight and wage war. Ecclesiastes says there's a time for peace and there is a time for war. And uh, Psalm 144.1 says, Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. By contrast, how about the aged hands of a woman with a lifetime of love and wisdom in their folds and creases. I don't know if anything is as beautiful to me as hands like that, full of love, full of stories, full of wisdom, and uh, they're just so beautiful. If there's anything more beautiful, though, it might be this, the hand of a child imparting love and wonder to an adult. Have you ever had a child unexpectedly grab your hand or grab a finger? 
uh, it's like heaven comes down into your heart for just, there's a flash of, of just this ooey-gooey wonder, uh, and it's just a tremendous feeling. I remember with a couple of my grandsons just being ready to choke them, but then they would just grab my hand like we were buddies, and, and they were totally unaware that I was even irritated. We're just having fun. I mean, what's the problem? And then, how about this? Holy hands lifted in prayer. There's something so sacred about hands, and especially hands in a posture of prayer. Because hands always express the heart or the will of their owner. They execute, if you will, the desires of their owner. For example, I thought, uh, actually Laura suggested this, they are worker bees. They are the worker bees of the heart, the foot soldiers of the general's order, the tools in the toolbox of a carpenter. They never think, they only act under the direction of the one who owns them the one who directs them. And so, as we think about this expression, holy hands, my first thought was that perhaps Paul was communicating that we are the property of God and our hands and hearts belong to Him. Um, the word holy means set apart or other or different, not common, but sacred, set apart for holy purposes. And in Romans 9, we read um, that we are vessels of honor for use for the glory of God. You know, God is holy, isn't he? We sang that this morning. And uh, he went to great lengths to purchase us from the slave market of sin. He sent his only son, didn't he, to die on the cross uh, that we might be forgiven and made holy. In the scriptures, uh, it says, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You know, Paul knew that he was set aside for God's purposes. Paul said, I'm the worst of sinners, and yet Paul also had this consciousness that he was the possession, the property of God, and that he had a sacred mission. We read that in verse 7. He says, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. I am a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Let's look at 1 Peter 1, 16 through 21. This is encapsulated a bit to get on one slide, but it says, It is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Conduct yourselves with fear during your stay upon earth, knowing that you were not redeemed uh, or bought back with perishable things like silver or gold from the, your futile way of life but with precious blood, blood of a lamb unblemished, 
and spotless the blood of Jesus Christ. And also Romans 12, 1. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, and I inserted here our hands, a living sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Let me ask you a question. If you come into the presence of someone new, someone for the first time, do you want them to walk away from you thinking, that's a normal guy, or that's a normal girl? Or do you want them to walk away from you thinking, boy, that person is different. They are other. They are something new to me. Um, I think we want to be that other, don't we? Um, you know, the, the, the theme of the movie Wonder is that it's a tragedy that we try so hard to fit in when we were meant to stand out. So I want to ask you now to look at your hands don't, don't be shy about it. Just look at your hands for a minute and let me minister to you through these words. No matter how they look to you, whether pudgy or too skinny or too old, some of you aren't looking at your hands. Look at them. Maybe your hands are gnarled by arthritis. Maybe your fingers are too short. I want to say to you that your hands are beautiful because your hands are sacred. And your hands are sacred because your whole body is sacred because it's the property of the living and almighty God. He has purchased you. He has purchased your hands. And uh, you are his possession. I think it would be so helpful to us if we cultivated a sense that as we walk through this life, that I am a sacred vessel. I am the possession of the living God. I think it would help us uh, fight different sins uh, that we wouldn't want to um, infect ourselves. We wouldn't want to imbibe of things that pollute us, because, whether it's spiritual or physical, because this body is not our own, right? It's the possession of the living God, and God is a jealous God. So, first of all, perhaps Paul was getting at this truth with this two-little phrase, holy hands, reminding us that we are his possession and set apart for his glory. Well, a second possibility is that what Paul was saying is that when we raise our hands to God, we need to be sure that our hands are reflecting a heart that has been cleansed and that our heart are current in repentance. Our hearts are current 
in having asked God to wash us and cleanse us. Uh, let's read uh, Psalm 24, 3 through 5. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place? You know what it's going to say. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood or sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. In James chapter 4, 8 through 10, we read this, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. And then, a verse we all a set of verses we all know very well from 1st John chapter 1 verses 8 through 10 if we say we have no sin we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we say we have not sinned we make him a liar and his word is not in us so here's, here's what I have been sensing spiritually, and that is that it is a season for consecration and repentance and prayer and prayer for our nation. Um, but, but I don't want to move too fast down that path. I want to just focus for a minute on the word consecration. What does that word mean? Well, this is my attempt at a definition. It means to separate oneself from things that are unclean for a sacred purpose. This is done with deep solemnity, dedication, and conviction. When I think about God, when I talk about God, when I ask God for something, I want to have a serious countenance. I want to have a sober spirit. Because you know what? God takes himself very seriously. I think that might be the underlying truth. I'm thinking about this, but it could be the underlying reason that holiness is his primary attribute, is because he takes himself seriously. Um, Bill often says that I am winsome. I like to make people laugh. I like to, uh, I guess winsome's a good word. I like to be winsome, and yet I'm realizing that in my walk with the Lord, I need to be very, very serious. There was a a couple of weeks ago, there was a small temptation I was fighting, and I went to bed one night and I, I prayed, Lord, would you help me resist that temptation tomorrow? Just going to pray for one day, just tomorrow. And um, 
by 10 o'clock in the morning, I was renegotiating with myself. I was, you know, the first, the first craving for that came along, and I found myself renegotiating, would the Lord really mind? Um, and then I thought of the verse uh, that says, you know, a double-minded man will not receive anything from the Lord. And I started thinking about my prayers for Laura's healing and that there probably is a connection between this little temptation I'm fighting and when I want to ask for a big thing. In other words, if I don't take myself seriously, if I don't take God seriously, if I don't take seriously what I ask Him to help me with, do I really expect Him to take me seriously when I'm asking for something critical? Uh, there has to be a connection between our righteousness before God. Now, I know we're righteous in Christ, but I'm talking about our personal righteousness. There has to be a connection between that and the power of our prayers. Do you hear me? There's got to be a connection. Um, when I launch a prayer to God, when I launch a prayer into heaven, do I want heaven to shake with its impact? Of course I do. When I rebuke the devil or resist the devil, do I want him to flee from me? Yes, I do. Then I had better be serious about my relationship with God and what I ask Him to do for me. I'm telling you, it is a time, it's a season for consecration and repentance and prayer and prayer for our nation. I thought a little bit more about consecration and I decided that it sort of has, it looks to me like it has three elements. The first one is a separation from defilements. A second is prayers of repentance and cleansing. And the third is a rededication of yourself to the Lord. And when the, when the Israelites were about to cross the Jordan, Moses had died and Joshua was leading them. There's this tremendously encouraging verse, Joshua 3.5, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Isn't that powerful? Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. A few verses before our text, we read Paul's words to Timothy, For the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a clear conscience and a sincere faith. Perhaps this idea of being personally cleansed from sin is what Paul meant to communicate when he used the adjective holy concerning lifting up holy hands. Well, there's a third possibility, and that is that he was referring to hands that are busy and hardworking serving the Lord. Um, maybe it was a shout-out, if you will, to Martha instead of Mary. 
or to the book of James about faith without works is dead instead of the book of Romans that we're saved by faith alone. I think of Dorcas. Look at this uh, condensed passage about Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and love, which she continually did. And when Peter had come, all the widows stood beside him weeping and showed him all the tunics and garments she had made while she was with them. I also think of Susanna Wesley. Um, I don't know if you can read on her tombstone there, but it says that she was the mother of 19 children. What it doesn't say on that tombstone is that nine of those children died during their childhood. And one was accidentally smothered by a maid. And uh, we remember how she would put a child under the outer layer of her, of her dress while she uh, sewed or cooked a meal. And she would pray over that child and teach them the scriptures, have them memorize the scriptures. This woman was busy for the Lord. I also think of the miracle-working hands of some of you. Um, I don't want to embarrass her, but it probably will. Uh, I think of the hands of deliverance, the beautiful hands of deliverance of Linda Steed. Linda literally goes into back bedrooms of shame and darkness in other countries and brings special needs children out into the light and the hope and the goodness of God. She convinces whole villages to embrace special needs children as the beautiful gifts of God that they are and that they deserve equal, if not better care than normal children do. I say Linda's hands are beautiful. I say they're hands of deliverance and power. Oral Roberts said, go into every man's world. And in our text, Paul says to Timothy, I want prayer, where? In every place, with holy hands lifted up. I think of David Horner's miracle-working hands. That guy can fix anything. Uh, When I think of David, I think of his time uh, working on one of the medical missions ships, working on their electrical system, and I just picture him in a tube somewhere, uh, fixing wires and getting shocked. One time, I needed, I needed David to go under my house and fix some wiring, and Gordon, I called Gordon, I said, Gordon, you know, you think I can get David to fix that wiring in my house? And, and Gordon said, yeah, just... Just have Laura make him a, a plate of cookies. And so uh, we made him cookies. He came over, and when he came out, he was all filthy and dirty. And, uh, and I said, David, how was it? And he said, well, I got shocked a few times. There's wires everywhere. But I think, uh, I think you're good to go. And this is the type of environment that Dave is comfortable in. 
and I am totally intimidated by it. Al Baker is another one who has hands that are mighty to fix things for the glory of God. When I consider some of your hands, hands of deliverance, hands of sacrificial kingdom service, and then I think about my own hands asking, where have you been, you know, and what have you done? And, you know, like, it's human to initially be overcome with grief and sadness and regret at how easily these hands have reached out for sin, how, how these hands have not continually glorified God. And we can despair over the past. But then I hear the words of Jesus to Peter in John 13. You remember when Peter said, well, if I need to be washed, don't wash just my feet. Wash everything. And what was Jesus' reply? He said, Peter, you are clean because of the Word that is in you. In other words, because, Peter, you are in me, in Christ, because you are mine, you are clean. You only need to wash your hands. You only need to wash your feet. You only need to stay current in repentance and consecration. No, the truth is that though we have regrets and we have former sins, our hands are now filled with the good works and fruitfulness of the kingdom of God. I love the book of Titus because of its emphasis on good deeds. Jesus Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds, careful to engage in good deeds, ready for every good deed, engaging in good deeds to meet pressing needs. Hallelujah. Perhaps Paul was emphasizing that holy hands are hands that are busy, hard-working hands for the kingdom. Well, there's no doubt, however, about one thing in this passage, and that is that Paul meant holy hands are hands whose highest priority is fervent prayer. I want you to notice in verse 1 of our text something, and that is that he says, first of all then, I urge you that entreaties and prayers and so on be made on behalf of all men. That word or verb urge, I urge you, is parakaleo from, it means to call to one side. In other words, Paul was saying, I, I want to call you to my side. I want to strongly urge you, strongly exhort you, beseech you. I exhort, I exhort you to join me in fervent prayer. And this passage is specifically about public worship, but I think we can apply it both to private and public. Paul is saying in public worship, the first order of business 
the first priority is to pray. Notice he doesn't say, be sure and worship for at least a half an hour so that you know that the Spirit is moving before you pray. No, he says, first of all then, I urge prayer. And it's not just fervent prayer, but he, he focuses their prayers. It's focused prayer on what? Verse 2. Well, second half of verse 1 that prayers be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority. So, I think you'd agree with me that Paul is really making a clear, specific exhortation to prayer for all men, especially kings and leaders who are in authority. Matthew Henry writes, we must pray for all men, not only for those of our own way, but for all men. The kings, and I inserted this at the time this was written, were heathens, enemies of Christianity and persecutors of Christians. Yet Paul emphatically urged that they must, the believers must pray for them. Let us mind our duty, and then we may expect to be taken under the protection of both God and the government. If you count yourself a Republican, I wonder when the last time was you prayed for Speaker Pelosi or Congressman Adam Schiff or Chuck Schumer. Anybody? Good. I, this is a rebuke to myself, I guess. If you count yourself a Democrat, when did you last pray for President Trump, for Attorney General Bill Barr, or Senator Mitch McConnell? Oh, we would much rather watch a movie, or blow something up, or grieve, or write a screed for Facebook, or eat another bowl of ice cream with chocolate sauce and some nuts and sprinkles, rather than pray for our perceived enemies. And yet, kingdom values are not our values, are they? Kingdom values are you pray for your enemies, your perceived enemies, your real enemies. And uh, we also need to remember that the Scriptures tell us that prayer is a weapon of God and that His weapons are mighty to the destruction of fortresses, to the pulling down of strongholds. Do we really believe that? Because saints, our, our country is burning. We have, uh, but we have an answer, and our answer is prayer. You know that the country is divided. You know there are fires out of control You know there are riots in many major cities, a pestilence that has caused 200,000 of our citizens to perish, and policemen are being executed in their squad cars. Our country is hurting, and there's 37 days to an election that unless there's a miracle, it will be contested for weeks, if not months, to come. I want to ask you, will you join me in a season of personal consecration and prayer.
and prayer for our country. A lifting up of holy hands in prayer for our nation. You know, many Christian leaders and, and, and normal, everyday believers are also feeling the weight of this message from God, this message from the Holy Spirit. Just yesterday, there were uh, something like 50,000 uh, believers at the Capitol uh, marching from the Lincoln Memorial to, um, to uh, the U.S. Uh, Capitol. One of the, one of the leaders, uh, the ba- it was under the banner called The Return, a National and Global Day of Repentance and Prayer. Franklin Graham led a prayer march, again, from the Lincoln Memorial to the U.S. Capitol. Here at TCF, yesterday was the day of our off-site prayer advance. The Catholics are having a, what they call a novena, which is uh, nine days of prayer for our nation. So people are feeling this calling across the country. Franklin Graham said this, America is in trouble, our communities are hurting, our people are divided, and there is fear and uncertainty all around us. Let's join together and do the most important thing. Pray, pray, and pray some more. So I want to say this morning, let us consecrate ourselves and lift up holy hands in prayer and do our duty. We have a duty that no one else can perform, and that is the people of God praying to the God of deliverance. So, but before we do that, I want to return to our two questions. First of all, what was the Apostle Paul communicating when he used this phrase? Um, did he mean that we're to lift up hands that reflect a heart and hands that know they are the possession of the one and almighty God, that they are holy because they are in Christ and under the authority of God? Or did he mean hands that reflect a heart that's been currently cleansed from sin, currently had hands washed, currently walking in repentance and humility? Or did he mean hands that reflect a heart that is busy working for the kingdom, a life rich in good deeds and um, meeting pressing needs? Well, after a lot of study, prayer, thought, I can tell you the answer. The answer is yes. The answer is D, all of the above. And as for question two, What kind of hands am I lifting to God in these days? The honest answer is these hands and this heart need to be cleansed. Um, These hands and this heart need to be consecrated. It needs to pray for those in authority and to pray for our nation. So I would like to lead us in a prayer of consecration this morning and then a prayer for a brief prayer for our nation. So in your bulletins, um, there is a, uh, a prayer of consecration where the leader speaks and the people respond. 
If you don't have one, there's a few up here, and I imagine there's still some bulletins in the foyer. So will you stand with me, and let's, uh, unless you're absolutely opposed to being consecrated this morning, um, would you stand with me, and let's ask God to receive our prayer. Heavenly Father, we affirm that you are holy and there is none like you. And you have said that we shall be holy because you are holy. To accomplish this, you paid the ultimate price, sending Jesus Christ, your own Son, to redeem us through an agonizing death on a cross. We thank you, O Lord, for this and have received your gift of salvation gratefully, confessing that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. Nevertheless, Lord, we have continued in many ways to love the world and have lusted after various sins, neglected your holiness, and treated our relationship with you in lazy and cavalier ways. Please forgive us, Lord, for our hardness of heart, our self-deceptions, our laziness, our love of comfort, and not treasuring you and your gifts as we should. We ask you to cleanse us. We ask you to wash us. We ask you to fill us with a new fervency to love and serve you. We rededicate ourselves to you and we thank you, Lord. Even when we are faithless, you are faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's just lift our holy hands to the Lord and let's pray for our nation. I know many of us are praying individually, but it is good and right and acceptable that together we pray for our nation. So Father, I want to pray first the words of Amos that justice would roll down like a river and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Father, we do lift up to you our leaders. We lift up President Trump, Mitch McConnell, and others on the Republican side, Mike Pence, Lord, others, uh, and on the Democratic side, Nancy Pelosi. We lift up 
uh, Chuck Schumer, we lift up uh, Adam Schiff to you, Lord. We pray that rather than demonize these, we would be reminded to pray for them. And so we do pray for them, Lord. And we confess that all people are broken. And uh, if their brokenness is offensive to us, who cares? They deserve our prayers. So, Father, we pray that your wisdom from above would come to all of them. Um, That a lust for power would be put down. And, Father, there would be a fervency to hear from you what is the right things to do. Father, we pray over the election that your will would be done and that the nation would not be thrown into chaos. Father, we pray for law and order in the streets, not as a political tagline, but that we might be uh, have that quiet and peaceable life that your word suggests we will. We thank you for Joshua, that verse, uh, Joshua 3, verse 5, to consecrate ourselves, for tomorrow we will see wonders from the living God. Lord, keep that verse in mind. We also ask that you would keep in mind the verse that we are to pursue peace with all men and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So, Father, we pray for our nation that your glory would just be spread over the land. Your mercy, we pray for your mercy and we ask forgiveness for all the sins of the people, for killing babies, for our hatred, for our pride, for our self-deception. So, Lord, we pray for our nation. And we ask, Lord, that in the days ahead, these next 37 days especially, we would take time out each day to pray for our nation and to consecrate ourselves to walk as this verse has, these verses have instructed us to walk. And we give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jim.